Just a quick informal survey as we consider our topic for this morning. How many of you, okay, this is, this is truly a raise your hand moment, how many of you have encountered hardship, trials, or suffering in life? Good. So we have an understanding here. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the reality is that suffering, hardships, trials, are, are, they are a universal experience. No matter how much money you may have, you will suffer in one way or another, be it physically or spiritually or emotionally, relationally. No matter how good your medical care is, you'll have trials. Could be an accident, could be a natural disaster, could be abandonment, could be some sort of relational betrayal. We cannot escape these things and we cannot avoid them. And in the midst of this, we have to ask ourselves, as these things come upon us, ask ourselves, why, why do we follow Christ? And what do we expect out of following Christ? Do we secretly subscribe to the best life now motto? You know, we, do we... Do we not externally, because you probably wouldn't be at Mission Road Bible Church if you did, but internally, in some sneaky sort of way, do you at all think that health and wealth, prosperity, or comfort and ease, or certain rights of living are ours by nature of being Christians, or even by just being human? But we know, we know whether we subscribe to those types of things by how we respond when Certain comforts or pleasures or points of ease are taken away from us. And when they're replaced with hardship or trial or suffering, how do we respond? Well, how we respond reveals what we expect, what we live for, what we anticipate, what we think should be ours. But what should we expect? If we live by faith as sojourners and strangers in this world, if we do that and anticipate a home, an eternal home in the life to come, what should our expectations be for how this world and this life may treat us? And then how do we respond to these difficult life events when they come upon us? Today we're going to uh, consider soul care, All right, looking at one another and caring for one another. Soul care in the midst of trials and suffering. And I don't have time to give you many specific examples, but I want to encourage you to read the book of Acts, to read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs, to consider picking up a magazine like The Voice of the Martyrs or uh, The World magazine. They all, they all publish realistic uh, situations of what the, the, the sufferings of life are, and specifically even the sufferings of Christians, and you'll be able to see... Uh, what those situations are like, but you'll also be inspired by many of their faithful responses and incredible testimonies. But what we find in most of life, and certainly the, the, the theology of the Bible, is that trials and suffering are a reality that we must deal with, anticipate, and accept. And if you, if you can, think back in your mental filing system we covered this to some extent as far as like the expectations and the anticipations. In uh, the uh, old theology, what do we call that? Old theology for 
current days or something like that, the Sunday school series a couple series ago. I'm sure you all remember it vividly, right? Good, perfect. All right. Um, But I want to frame this topic up by posing questions, okay, and it's on the handout there. They are on the handout. I want, to, I want to pose questions that will hopefully be a help to you, for you to ask of your own soul, and for you to ask of those that are around you, that you have relationship with, who are going through some sort of hardship or, or suffering. And I hope these will be helpful. But before we go too much further, I want to pray. Let's do that. Father, we come to you now in great need of you and your work. We're not sufficient on our own, in our own thinking, in our own creativity or logic or anything like that. So we ask for you, through your spirit, through your word, to bring conviction to bear, to fortify in the midst of hardship. I know there are situations right now in this room that, that, that can almost feel unbearable in terms of hardship. The suffering that is being endured, the suffering that is ongoing or the suffering that is new and acute. God, be gracious. Let these things bring help, bring perspective, bring encouragement from the truth of your word and the unshakable rock of your character. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're going to be asking questions. And the first question that I want to ask is this. Do I anticipate hardship, or is this a shock to me? Again, do I anticipate hardships, or is this a shock to me? Because the truth is, suffering is to be expected as a Christian, and frankly, hardship, suffering, trials are to be expected, anticipated as a human Right? But as a Christian, we see that the, that the Lord Jesus even warns his disciples and by, by proxy us when he says, look, I'm leaving you in this world and in this world you will have comfort and ease and perfect. No, you will have trouble. All right, thanks, Lord. That's great. Well, that's what he says. And so we should anticipate it. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 to 30, Paul writes to the Philippians, and again, kind of like, well, thanks, Paul, for the encouragement. But if you think rightly about it, it really is. He says in verse 29, for to you it has been granted, I mean, that that, that language is very much here, this is a privilege for you, this is a gift, this is a blessing for you. Verse 29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. See, Paul says this is a granting for Christ's sake, not only to believe, but also to suffer. If you think about Paul's litanies of sufferings and hardships and trials that he went through and how he framed those up as even just being a privilege and an opportunity to fill what was lacking in the suffering, this was not something that Paul was shocked by. This is not, these were not experiences that Paul was aghast that the Lord could let these come upon him. This was an expectation. These were a part of the Christian life. 
These were a part of just the understanding of what it means to follow Christ. Peter, in his language in chapter 4, if I can find it here for a second, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. I love this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. At least Peter gives some sort of understanding that, yeah, I, I can understand you'd be surprised. But he says, don't. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't be taken off guard. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which has come upon you for your testing, as though, as though some strange thing were happening to you. He says that this suffering, these hardships that you endure, should not be treated as an anomaly. They shouldn't be considered as some UFO in our life that we had no idea was existent or coming or, or even uh, a possibility. But instead, he says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. It's amazing. Suffering is to be expected as a believer. And, 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 and so much of this is about our expectations. I mean, you could take that phrase and you could put that into parenting and all the, all the struggles that we have with parenting. You could put that into marriage and all the struggles that we have with marriage. You could put that into the workplace. And it's, and it's like so much of it is, well, I expect something that's wrong to expect or out of bounds or too much or inappropriate or whatever. And that's, that's often at the heart of so much hardship. And when we don't expect or anticipate hardships, then uh, these things come out of left field and just rock us to our core in ways that it shouldn't because we should expect them. Because these expectations contradict any sort of health, wealth, and prosperity notion that following Christ is a golden ticket to some sort of life and comfort and ease. I mean, think about the beloved Psalm 23. Right? What does he say? You keep me from walking in the shadow of the valley of death? Nope. He says, even though I walk, he expects to walk through hard times, through trials, through, through situations that are going to either kill him or bring him even to the point of death. He expects to walk through those things. But he says, ah, but I know the one with whom I'm walking. And I know the one who walks beside me and looks out for me. And takes care of me even in those times. You hear his expectation there? I think we, we'd, we'd do well to, to learn to pray that way. As opposed to, you know, what we often, myself included, tend to pray. Lord, keep me from the valley. Lord, I rejoice that even though I walk through the valley, you'll be with me. And your rod and your staff will comfort me. So suffering is to be expected as Christians, and suffering is to be expected as humans. I mean, if you think about it, just the result of the fall and sin, you can take that all the way to the nitty-gritty, that, that, that even in working the ground, that became a, a labor and a trial and a hardship. Sin has broken and tainted everything to the point where Romans communicates that the world itself is groaning for redemption. It's subject to futility, to the futility of brokenness and, and not being right the way that God designed it prior to sin. 
Ephesians 2.2, which we've covered, talks about the course of this world, the way things are. And you know what? That's not a pretty picture. The natural course of this world as we currently live is not a, a, a pretty, comfortable, um, pain-free situation. I mean, some of you know this even far more than I do. Disease is rampant in this world. Disasters are rampant in this world. And creation groans for redemption from those things, but it's not yet. And so while we wait, what do we expect? While we wait, do do we expect death? But that's the wages for sin. And all are subject to it, except for Enoch and Elijah. <laughs> pain. What, what, are the, what are the expectations of pain? I don't like pain. All right, I, I'll, I'll give that to you. I am like the biggest wimp when it comes to pain. You know the whole, you know the whole stereotype about like man colds? How you get it, you know, the, the, this literally happened in our house, I think, late last fall or December or something like that. And I get this thing that just lays me out. I'm close to death for four days. And then I'm pretty sure my wife gets the same thing, and she basically just continues on with life with, you know, blowing her nose every once in a while. <laughs> I, I don't like pain. I'm not good at handling pain, and yet you and I should all expect pain. Some of you have have chronic pain issues that have the possibility to crush you if your expectation is, I shouldn't have to deal with this, right? And so if your expectation is that, I shouldn't have to deal with it, but the reality is this, then they're irreconcilably at conflict with one another. But this expectation of I shouldn't have to deal with this says that I shouldn't have to be affected by sin. But you know what? We're all affected by sin, right? And it's broken the world. It's broken us. And so this is all about expectations. Do you expect to get sick? You should. Don't be flabbergasted that disease happens. Do you expect natural disasters to occur? We should, because the world is, is subject to futility, it's broken, and it's groaning for redemption, and until it cut, comes, there's going to be disasters in this world. And that should make us groan for redemption and anticipate the coming uh, renewal and perfection that, that Christ promises, but it shouldn't cause us to be um, subject to despair or disillusionment, because we should have the right expectations. Do we expect death to come to all of us and all around us at one point or another? Or do I expect that my child should not ever die? That, that's, that's, not, that's not a right expectation. I have five children. I love them all dearly. God could take them. I should expect death and anticipate that death will come to my children at some point. 
before me, after me, I don't know. But they are subject to the wages of sin also. How about pain? If, we, if our response to pain, as I'm prone to do, is to be, oh, this shouldn't be happening to me. Well, you got to kind of step back and ask yourself, well, why? why? Why are you expecting to be exempt from the brokenness of sin? But often, we respond that way. And so answering these questions of our expectations will help us to get a handle on the root of your response. So again, like in the midst of suffering, as you're, as you're counseling yourself or as you're talking to somebody else who's going through our hard times, just, just gently ask, well, what, what are you expecting right now? What were you expecting prior to this? Is, is one of the reasons that this is so hard because you thought that you weren't going to be exempt from these things? And, and then being able to adjust then that expectation and that framework of thinking is going to be helpful because then you'll be able to understand, no, 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 no. This is, this is a realistic expectation here, and God provides, as we're going to find out, grace for those times. Second question here, do I know why I'm suffering? All right, and you'll see on your handout there's a few possibilities. All right, there is suffering that comes due to discipline from the Lord. If you look in Hebrews chapter four, uh, four, chapter 12 with me, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 11, listen to this. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Now keep in mind, he's writing to people who are tempted to fall away from the faith. They are, they are experiencing something so severe that they're tempted to fall away. And here he reminds them, he says, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Whoa. I should actually anticipate discipline and reproof and correction from the Lord for my good because he's my father. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of Spirits and live. He's basically saying, just, just learn. That's what I keep telling my kids. You know that I'm trying to teach you by this discipline? And if you learn what I'm trying to teach you, then that would bear fruit. Please, please learn. Please. 700 times later, please learn. And God does the same thing for us. He says, they, but in verse 10, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. And that is such an encouragement. There are times where you have to step back and you have to self-examine in the midst of a hardship or a trial or a suffering, is there a reason that God might be disciplining me through this circumstance? That's a possibility. Am I holding on to something? Am I, am I unrepentant about something? Am I idolizing something that God is trying to say, let go. 
confess, turn away. Those are possibilities. But the wonderful thing is, if that's the, 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 the realization, then, then there's action to take and there's hope to be had because as it says, the Lord disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. D.A. Carson in his book, How Long, O Lord, says, All the correct theology in the world will not make a spanking sting less or make a brutal round of toughening up exercise fun, yet it does help to know there's light at the end of the tunnel, even if you cannot yet see it. So you might, I might, be experiencing some sort of suffering, hardship, or trial because I'm suffering due to discipline. Or you might be suffering simply due to existing in a sin-broken world. Right? Let's, let's, let's look back and just remember the effects of the fall. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I mean, it's such a wonderful picture of creation and fellowship with God and, and the wonder of what God has made and how it, uh, how it housed man and cooperated with man. And then the fall and then this is what God says in chapter 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Here's what you should expect, Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In Romans 8, you know, it talks about the creation being subject to futility and groaning for redemption. This is a sin-broken world that we live in, and that brings suffering, that brings hardship, that brings trials to us, and we should expect that. And so, so, so look, we need to examine ourselves for, um, for sin and for Areas in which we need to grow that the Lord may be chastening or reproving or, or, or rebuking us. And yet, we need not assume that that's the case because it also is perfectly viable that, look, suffering is going to happen because of sin. Because of the world in which we live, the brokenness of it, the fact that um, it, it, it affects everything. I mean, it even affects our bodies. And so we naturally should assume our bodies are going to suffer. Our bodies are going to, as Paul says, decay. Right? If we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let me read that to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is, this is striking. It talks about all, all, all sorts of Sufferings that he's going through, and yet he says in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. I mean, think about that. What is it to have your outer man decay? And he, he lists a whole litany of, of, 
of sufferings in verse 8. We're afflicted, we're not crushed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down, we're carrying about in the body of the dying of Jesus. You know, we're delivered over to death, etc., etc., etc. But not only that, but the decaying of the body. All the suffering and trial and hardship that comes with, with fragile bones, with loss of eyesight, with disease, with, with, with uh, autoimmune issues, and, and, and more and more and more. All of that is the decaying of the body. And we should expect it. We should expect the trial of losing hair and all that kind of stuff. And it's a hardship. Not really. But I love his response there. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. So even though he faces all of that, he says, I don't lose heart. And when we face whatever we face, we don't have to lose heart. Why? And we're going to cover this more in just a minute because he says in verse 17, for momentary light affliction, that puts it in perspective, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I love that. His response has such a proper balance of understanding. I expect this. It's going to happen, but I don't lose heart. So we could be suffering due to discipline. We could be suffering due to a sin-broken world. We could be suffering due to faithful living. Again, Jesus says, you will have trouble. He also says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Paul tells Timothy, you should expect persecution. All who desire to live godly will be persecuted. You see this in Hebrews in a couple of spots as well. But this is hard for us because like Carson says, Christians in the West, largely untroubled by official persecution, must become aware that we are something of an anomaly. You and I, we are blessed anomalies. But we're anomalies by and large. And we can see that in the world around us right now. I get the voice of the Martyrs magazine and every time I read it, I pray for the people undergoing those persecution and I am just struck by the humility of the weakness of my own faith and the weakness of my own testimony and struck and inspired by the, the, the grandeur and the, and the magnificence of, of faith in Christ that is manifested by strength in persecution. And we should expect those things and we need to realize that our anomaly of American cushion life, by and large, is not what we should expect. It's not always a situation of we preach the gospel and we get thrown into jail. It can be suffering that comes from living the kind of life that's fueled by gospel truths, but's lived out in daily practicalities. Suffering persecution that comes from our views on the sanctity of life, views on sexuality, views on marriage, views on just anthropology, the nature of humanity, sin, sinfulness, the need of a Savior, our convictions regarding the creation and the coming end of the world. What kind of knuckleheads are you guys? Our lifestyle choices fueled by biblical principles. All these and more can bring about 
and should bring about suffering ranging from ridicule to death if we have the boldness to live for them and in light of them. And so this means that we should expect it. We don't actively have to like go out and seek it. Hey, punch me because I'm a Christian. And I, you, know, you don't have to go and do that. But you should expect it. You should anticipate that if I stand for Christ and if I live for Christ well and strongly, then this is going to come. And you know what? When it comes, like Paul and, and, and Silas, then you rejoice and you sing hymns in prison if needed. And so we shouldn't fear it, nor should we prize our safety over it. And in the midst of these sufferings, these, these situations of hardship, we should, you need to keep this in mind as we care for one another, as we counsel one another. Look, hey, you don't have to fear that. But in your responses, make sure that you're not prizing comfort. You're not prizing health. You're not prizing security over faithfully living for the Lord. Now, as we think about those categories, suffering due to discipline, suffering due to a sin-broken world, suffering due to faithful living, we have to, we have to keep in mind it's not always necessarily um, just one or just the other. And, and it's kind of like what Dr. Johnson has described where you can't be too quick to say, well, your body's at the whole fault of this issue or oh, your soul is the only thing at the part of the whole issue. We have to understand that there's a, there's a complex interconnectivity between a lot of these things, and they, they're, 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 they're complicated, they can be overlapping, and they can be sneaky, which is why I would heartily encourage each one of you, don't put on the shiny veneer of, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. How are you? When your heart, when you're, when you're going through a hard time or when you're suffering or when you're undergoing some sort of trial, you need each other. Brother, you know what? I am, I am getting rocked right now. This physical thing right here, it's, it's making me just want to quit. You know what? I, I thought about ending my life the other day because I have endured so much. I need help. I need encouragement. I need strengthening. You know what? I am so discouraged because of this situation with my job that I, I, I can't figure out why in the world the Lord is letting this happen. Man, let's talk about that. That sounds so hard. Let's pray. Okay, hey, so I, when you think about, like, how, how's your walk with the Lord? What are you doing? Are you hiding sin? Who, who is this person that's making this? Like, just, just, you have to help each other assess those things so that, hey, sometimes there's a person who's blind to their sin and you got to come in and you got to say, brother, you are holding on to that sin, and I think, I really do think God is trying to say to you, let that go. Repent. Let that go. God as a father is saying, hey, I want you wholeheartedly for me. But then there are other times where you have to come alongside of each other and say, you know what? As we've talked about all this, you've got to realize this is, this is Job you're not at fault. This is not something where you have to like dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and find something in your heart that is the cause of that because you know what? This is just what we expect because of the sinful, broken world that we live in. And you have to encourage one another in truth. You have to help each other in those things because if you're like me, you are often so blind in the midst of those hard times because all you see is this haze of pain or hardship or suffering. 
So we have to be open with one another. We have to be quick to turn to wise counsel with each other to discern what's going on. And we have to trust each other to help diagnose and assess these situations. Another question to ask is this, do I see good in it? Do I see good in this suffering, hardship, or trial that I'm experiencing? We all know what James says, but it's, it's worth making sure that you hear it and see it and really understand that we are to consider it all joy, my brethren. When you encounter various trials... Chalk it up in the accounting line of joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So here he goes talking about character. He, he starts talking about growth. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, which means mature, lacking in nothing. Do I see good in this or do I only see despair? So questions we need to ask ourselves, we need to ask each other that. We see the same thing in Romans 5. I'll let you look at that later. But we can see, we should see, we should, we should purpose in our hearts to see growth as a good that God is bringing about regardless of the cause of the, of, of the suffering or the trial, whether it's due to brokenness of sin or whether it's due to our own uh, need for discipline or whether it's... Um, what was the other one? <laughs> Due to faithful living. But we should also see the good of grace. This, this is so crucial. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with me. So, so crucial. Paul's got some issue that is so vexing to him. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, that in verse 8 he says, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times, God, please take this away from me. This is the Apostle Paul saying, Lord, please, please that it might leave me. But what does God say? And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So Paul's response, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content. And I feel him putting his finger in my chest right now. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So do we see the good of being able to, to apprehend and then to manifest the, the magnificence of God's grace in the midst of hardships, in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering? If that is not even in our thoughts, then we need to be able to come alongside one another and say, hey, don't forget this. I know this is hard. I know this feels overwhelming, but look, Remember this, God is demonstrating his sufficient grace in you. And if you cling to him, he will bring you, I can't even say through necessarily, but I can say bring you to the point of enduring. Because that brings us to our next question. What do I desire most as I walk through this? Is our greatest desire escape? 
I mean, what do we model to those around us as we go through hard times? Do we model escapism? Do our children look at us? Do our roommates, our extended family? But I especially think of our children. What do they see when mom and dad, when grandma and grandpa go through a hard time? I just want out of this. I just can't handle this. Take it away. Take it away. I want out. Do they, do, they, do, is, do they see fear and escapism or do they see a theological expectation and even embrace? Even and embrace. Because I can expect good from this. I can expect growth from this. I can expect God's grace in the midst of this. And that's hard. And that's a work of the Spirit but it's a work of our mind and our, our intention and our will as well. So what do I desire most as I walk through this? Do I endu- desire endurance with growth for the glory of God like Paul just demonstrated? Or do I desire escape with relief from all the above for the comfort of self, which is generally like my gut response, and I have to, I have to literally... The times when I succeed, it's, it's a matter of wrestling through the power of the Spirit, wrestling my mind and wrestling my will into submission of right thinking because it doesn't come easy. And you know what's also very helpful for me as a pastor and an elder is good counsel from brothers and sisters and supportive prayer from brothers and sisters. I cannot do this. I cannot go through hard times well without you all. And you cannot do it either without you all. So we have to be able to ask ourselves these questions and, and help each other through these situations. Brother, what, what are you desiring most right now? Yeah, 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 I understand how much you want to get out of this. But is that your greatest desire? Because what if that's not God's will? Let's think about that. Let's pray about that. What if, like Paul, God says, no. You keep this one for your good, for my glory, and for the demonstration of my grace in you. We got to walk with each other through these things. So this question for your own soul or for the soul of those around you is a crucial topic of conversation. We must ask each other what your goal and desires are in the midst of hardships. Wrong desires must be addressed. And corrected. That's what Dr. Johnson said was the whole point of biblical counseling is to take those things that are askew from God's design and bring them back into alignment. Orient them the right way. Let's orient your desires and your hearts and your, your, your goal the right way so that even though you may not escape the situation, you can endure it. You can rejoice. <laughs> you can count it all joy in the midst of hardship and trouble and trial. The fifth question, final question is this. Where is my focus during this time? Where is my focus right now as I'm going through this? Is my focus, am I consumed? Am I thinking all the time on this temporary hardship that is so easy to lead to bitterness? Think about Naomi in the, in the, in the story of Ruth. She changed her name. She go, they go back to her hometown village and everybody's like, oh, Naomi's back. And she goes, no, 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 no. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. 
for God has dealt bitterly with me. Her pain was extravagant. A husband, her sons, dead, loss of basically every, as far as she could see, feasible way of supporting herself. Her, this, this, this does not discount her pain, but her focus was on the temporary hardship and it led her to the point of bitterness, to the point where she even wanted to change her name because that is what she was characterized by. Or is your focus on the eternal glory that eclipses, as Paul said, momentary light affliction? And keep in mind that when he says that, he's categorizing things like, like, like shipwrecks and getting mugged by robbers and having to be let out of a basket to avoid death, getting stoned until he thought they thought he was dead, etc., etc., etc. And he said, no, 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 my focus is on the eternal weight of glory such that I can... Understand those things to be momentary light afflictions. God give us grace and God give us the body life to be able to focus each other and to point each other to that kind of a perspective. And again, none of this is said with the expectation that if you behave in such and such a way that the hardships will stop or that the pain will cease or that the grief will disappear. But I do hope through these questions and through these verses and through the encouragement to the body life that God wants us to have, I do hope to hold out hope of godly perspective, hope of grace-filled endurance, hope for the ability to be comforted by God in the midst of sorrows in such ways that you'll be able to comfort those around you in the same ways that you have been comforted by God. And that's in 2 Corinthians 1.4, which is a crucial way to end our time here. Let's Listen, listen to this real quick. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What a phrase. What a phrase. Cling to that phrase and help each other cling to that phrase. And then verse 4 says, Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, all of this is couched in a relationship of love and compassion, right? We must remember to weep with those who weep. We must remember to be a comforter even as God comforts us. And, and praise the Lord, He's not cold. He's not clinical. He's not detached. He's not, hey, suck it up, buttercup. You know, that, that, that's not His response. It's within the embrace, I love this, it's within the embrace of a father to his children that God comforts us. And so it's in the embrace of brother and sister to brother and sister that we ought to, in love and compassion, give comfort and help and encouragement and rebuke as needed to one another in the midst of hardships and trials and sufferings. And so I hope that these questions are helpful for you because it's coming. Here's your cheerful pick-me-up for the day. It's coming in one way or another, but the truly cheerful pick-me-up is that God has made provision for it. And remember, part of His provision is you and you and you for each other in these times. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful just thinking of you as Father who comforts us, 
who even disciplines us, who always watches out for us through your providence and your sovereignty. And you will bring us through. You will bring about the full plan of redemption so that eventually all these things will cease and be no more. And so we eagerly anticipate that and we ask that you help us to live faithfully in front of and with each other before you now. In Jesus' name, amen.